don't know how, just how much you know about Aaron doing this uh, run for World Vision, but uh, this is a great thing. He and a lot of other Christians this morning, including several other Nazarene pastors and a lot of church folks, are running, he's running the half, some are running the half, some of the whole, um, to raise money for the water projects with World Vision. And it's such a great program because they provide water wells and, and systems in areas that have no access to clean water, where people you know, walk miles and miles a day and often the water's not really drinkable then. And so for $50, that will provide water for life for a child or an adult, but a child's got a longer life, assumedly. Um, and it, so it's just a great thing. He's trying to raise $3,000, which would provide water for 6,000 people. So I hope you'll join in with that, or at least give him an attaboy when he gets back. I don't know how many of you remember uh, Dr. Roger Bowman, who used to be our district superintendent quite a few years ago. He turned 89 yesterday, and he's running the half marathon this morning. Isn't that amazing for World Vision as well? What do you think of when you think of the word confession or confess? A criminal in an interrogation room in a police station, maybe? A priest in a confessional booth? Little George Washington and his cherry tree? Confession's a subject that our tradition of the church doesn't seem to talk about very much. And I'm not sure why. Maybe the idea is just a little off-putting. Or maybe we're just not sure what it's all about and why we would want to talk about it. But we're going to talk about it today. Because for those of us who are followers of Jesus, confession really is an important part of our relationship with God, an essential part of how we're formed and shaped into the people he wants us to be and knows that we can be. Last week, Pastor began a, what I think is an exciting series of messages that will continue through the whole season of Lent on being formed in the wilderness. And this week, we're going to look at how we are formed by confession when we're in a wilderness of our own making, the wilderness of sin and failure. I read this week that the enemy, Satan, gets us, so, gets us to despair and to wallow in our failures so he can keep us living every day below the dignity of our freedom in Christ and our, the joy of our salvation. He deliberately gets us to despair and wallow around in feeling bad about ourselves. But the New Testament writer to the Hebrews says to us, therefore, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. Especially the sin 
that so easily trips us up so we can run the race that God has planned for us. Give me a minute. (laughs) Sorry about that. So we can run the race that God has planned for us. Whatever is holding us back from being all that God knows we can be, he wants us to just strip it off, let it go. And the way we do that is confession. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32. As we look at God's word this morning, it's page 556 if you want to use the Bible there in the book rack, but I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and it's going to be on the screen. Psalm 32, verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You Protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Lord God, we're overwhelmingly grateful this morning that you do forgive us, that you do take away all our guilt, that your love and compassion make it possible for us to live in honesty before you, to open up all the secret most parts of our lives to you, to confess and let go of the things that hold us back or bog us down or trip us up, that keep us from living in your freedom. In the moments ahead, we, as we look into your word and listen to your voice, give us clear minds to understand what you want to say to us this morning, and especially give us open hearts ready to say, yes, Lord, yes. Form and shape us, even now, into your own image. Amen. I really dislike presidential campaigns. (laughs) But I can't seem to stay away from them. (laughs) Sort of like a line from a favorite movie of mine, A League of Their Own, where someone says, Throw her a high fastball. She can't hit them, but she can't stay away from them. (laughs) That's sort of me during election campaigns. I don't like them, but I can't seem to stay away from them. (laughs) 
Fact is, I am already tired of our mailbox being stuffed with political flyers and my email being inundated with messages from both parties. I don't know how I get so lucky that I get them from both parties, but maybe the most annoying is being continually bombarded by outrageous political memes on Facebook. And I know that by the time the November election day rolls around, I'll be on such political overload, I won't care who gets elected if it can just please, please be over. <laughs> just end it. And so in the midst of all this, especially this past week when we were thinking so much about election, I got to thinking, what if, what if the political candidates were some of our revered Bible heroes? My mind just tends to go off in these strange directions sometimes. But for instance, what if David, the one who wrote this beautiful psalm that we just read, the beloved warrior king and the greatest leader his country ever had, but who stole another man's wife and got away with murder, what if he was on the ballot? Or what about his son Solomon, who led the country to greater economic and political power on the world stage than Israel had ever been in their, any time in their history? But he was just way too much of a ladies' man with 700 wives and 300 mistresses. And he was notorious for his unholy alliances as a way to increase his wealth and his power. What if Moses' name appeared on the ballot, the guy who fled the country to avoid a murder charge, who offered his wife to another man to save his own skin? who was at the very front of the largest, perhaps, ragtag refugee movement ever. Not to mention that he stuttered so badly he had to have someone else do his public speaking for him, which was not, would not be likely to play well at political conventions and debates. Or how about a woman on the ballot? Maybe Rahab the previously foreign enemy whose background included being a prostitute and consorting with spies? What about Paul, that arrogant, moralistic, ruthless politician known for literally hunting down people whose ideas and beliefs were different than his until he got knocked off his high horse and saw the light? But every one of these people would be a candidate that we would no doubt say, are you kidding me? Anyone but her, anyone but him, wouldn't we? And yet every one of these people is a vivid reminder that God welcomes the most unlikely people and often does his work through people with the most deplorable pasts. David, with all his flagrant failures, nevertheless became known as a man after God's own heart. Solomon, 
was chosen to build God's temple and became revered as a man of godly wisdom. Moses, with his sketchy past, became the leader of God's people and the voice of God to his people. Rahab, that Matahari of Jericho, became the great-great-grandmother of a king, David himself. And Paul turned his life around so completely that he was unrecognizable from the formerly ruthless, self-righteous Pharisee that he had been. So what changed all these people from sinners to saints, from selfish to self-sacrificing? What do they all have in common besides their pathetic pasts? And why did their pasts no longer matter? They all confessed their sins to God and let him turn their lives around. They were all finally willing to be honest with God and with themselves and with other people about who they were and what they had done. It all begins with admitting who we are. Someone wrote, you cannot change your past, but you can change your future. The past will never let us change it. What we can do is release it to God in exchange for a new future. But a new future is only possible when we honestly evaluate where we are now. And with prayer and determination, change our attitudes and behaviors. And the good news is the Lord is always present in our lives. He is always with us every step of the way to give us grace at every point in the process of change. Those Bible heroes didn't say, what's the use? It's hopeless. I'm such a failure. God could never forgive me. But neither did they say, well, so what's the big deal? Everybody makes mistakes and does wrong. I don't need to confess it. I don't need forgiveness. I just ignore it and move on. No. What they did do was agree with God about the sad state of their lives and their pasts, and they changed their minds to be in line with God's way of thinking. And the result was radically changed lives. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt, David said, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Changed lives are the result of confession and repentance. Those words, confession and repentance, we see over and over again in the Bible. But interestingly, they're actually rather surprising words. It's sort of like, I don't think it means what you think it means. Confess comes from a combination of Greek words that mean to say the same thing or to agree with. When we confess our sins, we're simply saying the same thing God says about them 
simply agreeing with God about our lives, about who we are. Confessing means no longer excusing or rationalizing our actions and attitudes, but instead choosing to admit that he is right about life. Imagine that. He is right about Jesus being our model of a godly life. And we agree with him that there are things in our lives that just don't look like Jesus. Confessing is simply agreeing with God about who we are. And to repent simply means to turn around, to go a different direction. And when we do turn our thoughts and attitudes and behaviors around, God always forgives. Always, always, always. No matter how many times we come to him, he always forgives. And he always walks with us through the process of change. My favorite part of the prodigal son story is when the son realizes how wrong he's been about life and he heads home intending to confess to his father and ask forgiveness but unknown to the son dad has been hoping and watching and waiting for his boy and as soon as he sees him in the distance dad leaps off the front porch and runs with his arms wide open to enfold his son in his love before the son can even stammer out his confession dad is already forgiving him and that's exactly the way god meets us whenever we turn to him in honest and humble confession whenever we stop rationalizing and excusing and blaming as we all tend to do don't we whenever we acknowledge the truth about our lives to ourselves and to God, sometimes to other people. Because sometimes we do need another person with skin on to talk over spiritual things with or discuss what's heavy on our hearts or what we may be confused about or wrestling with. And we get, when we get to the place of wrestling, to the place where we do acknowledge the truth about our lives, God in his mercy and compassion always, always forgives us and gives us joy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, as Christians, we have been given only one mechanism to deal with sin in our lives, confession. There is simply no other means of prevailing over sin. Confession is our only hope. Wow. Our only hope. The only way God has given us to overcome sin, to get free from guilt. So confession must be a way of life. It isn't just a one and done. Oh, I remember I confessed once back in 82. No. Confession has to be a way of life. 
Our everyday lives are filled with distractions that take our hearts and eyes away from Jesus, aren't they? Don't they? Mindless TV, meaningless chatter, too much work, too much coffee, too much food, too much Facebook, too much buying, too many irrelevant things crowding our lives and blurring our priorities. But the wonderful thing about this season of Lent is it gives us the opportunity to deliberately, day by day, refocus our attention on Jesus. Day by day, look at his life and listen to his heart and mind. To day by day, learn to recognize and agree with him about those things in our lives that may be distracting us from God. And so Lent is an ideal time to take David's words into our lives and practice making confession a way of life. Because the closer we walk to Jesus, the more important confession becomes in our lives. Did you know that? The closer we get to Jesus, Lamar Smith wrote, the clearer our vision of sin the more we become like Christ, the more we realize how wide the gap is between who he is and who we are and how much we need confession. The more clearly we feel the difference between Jesus and us, the closer we are to actually living with him. The Apostle John was writing to people who were already followers of Jesus, already his disciples, church leaders, longtime Christians, mature Christians, when he said, If we, we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, claim to not have sinned, we make God out to be a liar. Yikes. And his word is not in us. Excusing and glossing over our sin only fools ourselves. Pretending we're so spiritual that we're beyond sinning is calling God himself a liar. But there's a marvelous promise sandwiched in between those two verses that says, but if we confess our sins, we who are already his followers, his disciples, if we admit and agree with God about our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Every time we honestly admit our sins or our failures, our weaknesses. He is faithful to forgive us our sin. Now, which doesn't mean, by the way, that that's a free pass to just keep doing the same wrong things over and over again with no change. An essential part of confessing is repenting, the turning around part, the going a different direction part, the 
changing our minds and our actions and not just rehashing the same old sins over and over, year after year. Now, for most of us, the repentance part, the turning around part, happens slowly. (laughs) Change almost is never an instantaneous thing. So when God nudges us about something specific, and we agree with him that there needs to be a change in our lives, it's important to start consciously practicing over and over again the new way of thinking, the new way of acting, until it becomes second nature. A new way of life doesn't just happen automatically. God forgives us, yes, And then our part is to deliberately practice a new way of living, his way. By now, a lot of us are probably thinking, but I'm already a Christian. I'm a nice woman. I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't robbed any banks lately. So what am I supposed to confess? Ever ask yourself that question? What do I have to confess as a follower of Jesus? Perhaps the best answer I've heard came from a fellow pastor who said, look at Jesus, look at your own life, and confess the difference. Wow. Look at Jesus and his life, then look at your life, and agree with God about the differences that you see between Jesus and you. Ouch. (laughs) That's what we have to confess. And that definitely makes confession a way of life, at least for me. Any day of the week, I have something to confess because there is no lack of differences to be found between me and Jesus. Which doesn't mean that I get a past that says, well, I just can't help doing wrong. Well, I'll never be like Jesus, so what's the use? I can't help falling into the same sins and same patterns over and over again because nothing ever changes. No, not at all. Honest confession means that I not only ask forgiveness, but I acknowledge my own responsibility for doing wrong. And I resolve with God's help to develop new attitudes, new ways of thinking and acting to replace the old. It means I allow God to work in my life little by little, step by step, forming me and shaping me one change at a time until each new way of thinking, each new way of acting becomes second nature in my life. And as soon as I've done, realized that I've done wrong, I need to stop and confess and agree with God right then before I get myself in any deeper or before I start trying to hide it from myself and from God. And that's why confession has to be a way of life.
one of our spiritual ancestors, John Wesley, created the list of questions that's in your worship folder this morning, where it says, search me, O God. And they're also on the screen. People have been using these for some 250 years now. (laughs) And they might just be helpful to some of us as we spend time examining our lives and hearts during this season of Lent. There's nothing magical or even particularly spiritual about any of these questions except that they can help us focus our attention on God and think about our lives in ways that get us to a place where we're ready to listen to what God wants to say into our lives. These kind of questions might nudge our minds and hearts in some specific area and point out distractions. My prayer and hope is that we'll give these questions a try this week. However works for each one of us. You might want to look at one a day or you might want to think up your own questions or whatever. Some way of helping us practice or learn daily confession as we daily look at our ordinary everyday lives our eating drinking going to work walking around lives and learn to see what God sees and agree with him (laughs) some of you might want to take advantage of the pastor's invitation that Will mentioned to us as a check-in time during this season of Lent and discuss these things or anything you would want to talk over. You can use the first steps card there in your, in your pew and then he'll, he can contact you back. As we're going to be doing every Sunday during Lent, In a few moments, we're going to symbolically gather around the Lord's table together right where we're sitting and share the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare our hearts to remember Jesus' unimaginable sacrifice that has brought us new life and the power to overcome sin, we're going to read David's own prayer of confession, Psalm 51. And I want to invite us to take these moments to focus our attention on Jesus. And if we recognize any differences between his life and our lives, let's let David's words of confession become our words. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, Blot out the stain of my sins, my failures, my bad attitudes, my shortcomings. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. In other words, change me. For I recognize my rebellion. I admit it. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. What I've done wrong What I have done is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. 
Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Let me rejoice. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. O oh Lord, my mouth will praise you. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Lord, thank you for the hope that we find in these words of confession, knowing that you always, always, always forgive us when we come honestly to you. And in these next moments, give us ears that will listen to your voice, eyes that will clearly see the places in our lives that don't look like Jesus. And most of all, Lord, give us open, willing hearts that agree with you and that allow you to form us and shape us into your own likeness. Amen. <laughs>